Soundtrack to Life, where we talk to a guest. Uh, today we're not going to, well, I guess it's still a, a soundtrack that they feel connected to, but we're going to actually talk to a composer and some of the soundtracks that uh, they have worked on. So today we have composer Jermaine Stiegel on the podcast. Welcome, Jermaine. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So Jermaine uh, has composed for a lot of different films, uh, most recently the Wendy and Peter, is it a movie or is it a series? I uh, was called in to help uh, provide support and additional music uh, on uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. So it's a movie uh, um, that's on Disney Plus now. Um, but also uh, Praise This, which just came out as well this year. And then um, yeah, you've been busy with, uh, last year you did Senior Year. Yep. Which stars Rebel Wilson. And in 2021, uh, you did Coming to America 2. Yeah. It's a fun one right there. <laughs> They're all fun. But before we get to Jermaine, the composer, um, let's, can we uh, get into Jermaine, the musician? Like, what kind of instruments did you start on? How did you kind of get into music? I, uh, my first instrument that I played was violin, uh, started in third grade. And, uh, after three weeks of playing that, I quit, uh, cause I didn't like practicing. Uh, I walked in and said, I don't like practicing this thing. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. And then, uh, the following year in fourth grade, I asked my parents if I could play saxophone and said, no, you quit violin after three weeks. We're going to let you do that. But if you, uh, if you're serious, uh, ask us again, again in a year. And little did I know, I marked it in my calendar and to the day pretty much asked them, hey, remember a year ago when you said I could play saxophone, if I remember it? Um, so anyway, in fifth grade, I started playing saxophone and um, played through junior high and high school. And uh, my senior year, and by, by the way, when I started playing saxophone, I knew that I wanted to have a career in music. I just didn't know what. Wow. In my mind, I think I, I, I equated saxophone to playing solos on pop songs on the bridge. <laughs> that was going to be my career one at a time. And before I went to college to, to major in saxophone performance, the summer of 1995, and I saw the movie Apollo 13. And for me, when the rocket ship took off, that was the light bulb moment that someone was doing this stuff on purpose. Mm. Um, it was just too synchronized, too perfectly. And that was a James Horner score. Um, so the next five years of undergrad were all about how do I connect saxophone performance to scoring or my love of movies? Because I grew up watching tons of movies. We used to record movies off of television on VCR. My older brother had cable and he used to bring the cable guide over. Um, it was my half brother. He didn't live with us. He used to bring the cable guide over and say, circle any movie you want. So I'd, he'd fill up movies with, um, you know, each tape with the uh, VHS tape of three movies per tape. And I created this giant movie library of stuff that I would watch over and over and over again. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that I was noticing the score or who was writing the music. I didn't realize any of that at all. Someone pointed it out when I got to, to college that it seemed like my CD collection was heavy on the soundtrack side. Mm -hmm. Like, do you ever think about going to composition? Like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't understand theory. That's crazy. No way. But I do like film scores, I guess, <laughs> now that you mention it. Um, so, you know, fast forwarding uh, through that, um, uh, I would say probably 97, Titanic came out. I had gone back and forth with this idea of composing or writing music. And when the Titanic uh, came out, I was that was the moment I was like, okay, film scoring is going to be a thing. I don't know how I'm going to get there. It sounds utterly unattainable and crazy and so far away and i don't know the first thing about theory or syncing music to picture at all the technical stuff that sounds crazy um but it it's it's secretly in the back of my mind that is happening for sure 
that was 97. That summer, I saw the movie Scream on a VHS tape. It was a year old. It had been out in theaters. And uh, I remember that music, the movie had a cold open. Honestly, it was the first time I couldn't tell what was happening or how the composer was getting that sound. And, you know, the the cold open, it didn't show the credits, so I didn't, didn't say who the composer was. And uh, I remember pausing the, the end credits. Marco Beltrami did the score to that movie. And I was like, Marco Beltrami? Who's this guy? Marco Beltrami? Anyway, it turns out that Marco went to USC. James Horner was affiliated with USC. So a lot of roads started leading to, you need to figure out how to get to USC. Um, so to fast, fast forward, um, I ended up getting a master's in composition at University of North Texas from 2000 to 2003 and uh, applied a year early to get into USC's program because I heard it was a waiting list. Got in a year early, was on the waiting list exactly like I suspected, which was great because I still had another year to do of graduate school. And then um, in in 2003, we moved to L.A., um, got married that July, moved to L.A. in August. Um, Everything was all fresh. Uh, I had this plan, ask everyone you know, where can I find Marco Beltrami? Um, asked every teacher. I emailed his agents. Uh, we uh, had a teacher, Christopher Young, uh, composer, who was teaching adjunct uh, as a part of the program. The first time I met him, uh, first thing I asked him, I was like, great great to meet you, Chris Young. Do you know Marco Beltrami? <laughs> I, I finally met the guy, and I remember to the day, I saw Chris Young last week, actually. I told him, February 25th, 2004, he visited Chris Young's class, and I was utterly speechless. The first time I was ever rendered speechless. Um, Couldn't put two words together, literally. I tried twice, a half hour from each other. Still couldn't talk to him. Anyway, fast forward, um, I ended up being his intern on the film iRobot, which apparently I was his first intern. So it was really nice to watch a hero not only score a movie and save the day because it was a replacement score, but got to meet a ton of his orchestrators, go to all the sessions, um, meet the copyists, meet the conductor, meet, you know, it's kind of a fast tracking into watching an emergency level project actually happen, which was a giant, giant hit and especially big for him and his career. He was already big in my mind, but it launched him into another stratosphere. And so, you know, I've been in, in touch with them, and you mentioned Scream 4 uh, years later. Around, I think it was 2010 or 2011, I was able to write some additional music with, with him on Scream 4, which was just a full circle moment for me to actually be the guy that was uh, writing the scene that is basically it's an homage. The, the opening of Scream 4 is an homage to the first film, how the first film opens. Mm-hmm. with that phone call and they they happened throughout the, all the, the franchise but it was a kind of a magical thing that to be sitting there and looking at the dimension logo and thinking about how impressed i was with his stuff and just be working with him on that was pretty crazy so that was kind of my my part of my intro into you know this uh universe of doing this stuff I love that. I think that's such a cool story. I have passion, be brilliant, and stalk your heroes. I think yeah. is the, the <laughs> takeaway. The more yeah. stalk your heroes to the end yeah. of the earth, and you're gonna be you're gonna be okay. Um, that, yeah. that's incredible. I when I saw you know Scream Four and started to explore that soundtrack as, as part of your portfolio, I, the first thing that came to my mind is that you have to be passionate about horror, and how mm. do you approach a score? for a horror movie, for a thriller, as opposed to, you know, approaching it for maybe a different genre? Well, that's an interesting question for two reasons. Number one, Marco to this day still claims to have never seen a horror film when he got the opportunity to demo for Scream 1. And for me, like, I wasn't really a fan, fan of horror growing up. But after I saw his movie, I did tumble pretty heavily down this rabbit hole of, horror film research and directors and pursuing horror films because because he did that and it was always about the music i didn't it didn't hit me actually until i worked on that with him that it was always about the music and i had you know a lot of horror films they have low budgets to no budgets 
And, you know, that's the, the good takeaway is that, you know, you tend to be able to do a lot of stuff and experiment a lot. Um, I did a, a film in 2021, just after coming to America that hasn't come out yet for Universal called Oracle, which is also a horror film um, where for the first three months, you know, to answer your question, I just experimented and made sounds from made musical sounds and recorded them and manipulated them um, with, with uh, other sound design folks and then used that as a template before I even started writing music because I wanted to have a, uh, a sense of freshness that I felt like um, I experienced when I, when I watched some of those movies where I couldn't tell what was going on. You know, it took you know, some sounds inside the piano or actually my saxophone playing something called multiphonics, which is when you play you know a note and you get two or three notes at the same time and try to make you know some musical patches out of that and um it was it was actually it, it was it's all about the process you know of discovery like you start with one sound it becomes another thing and um you really that's where you get you get away with so much in those mm -hmm. those experimental thriller horror genres so yeah, yeah. Now it seems really fun because so you can kind of experiment with the bizarre and you can, mm -hmm. you know, do soundscapes, you can build tension. It mm -hmm. seems like something really fun to, to work on. And we don't always talk about, you know, horror and thrillers um, on this pod, but it was really cool to listen to, to that scoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It's all fun. If you make it fun. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. obviously you, uh, don't get to start as a composer right like you intern for marco and then i guess your credit is additional music for um a lot of things um as you were building up to being a composer yeah how did you start working on uh projects in, in that fashion well actually yes i actually all the time after i got out of usc i was pursuing you know short films feature films I got a, I actually got a film in 2006 that uh, was released from uh, by Warner Brothers Mexico, and it was in theaters in Mexico, and it was entirely in Spanish from a cold uh, call or email that I sent out back then, and you know between that and a few other indie films, you know some Lionsgate films, some directed video back when there was video. Um, uh, DVDs or VHS or whatever we had back then. Um, uh, I was always, you know, pursuing, you know, here and there the opportunity to do um, movies on some of the bigger stuff while I was still building my own credits, doing some of the, you know, indie fe features. Sometimes they didn't get distribution. Sometimes they did. Um, it all kind of just went hand in hand. Peter Pan and Wendy thing I have to mention that was really more about collaboration and, and offering support. You know, Daniel Hart's the composer of that movie, and he was actually a fan of mine. And um, he just thought it'd be great to, to, to see what I did and um, just, uh, just, you know, just have a, a moment of collaboration. You know, it's really, you know, in terms of the, the, the community, the, you know, the camaraderie of composers in our community, like every now and then it's, possible to do something where you truly collaborate and you go back and forth and uh, see where it takes you, you know, somewhere you might not have thought, you know, um, similar to some of the stuff that I've done with Christoph Beck is another composer that I've collaborated with on a couple things. Um, he knows my, my affinity towards Christmas movies, my, my love of John Williams and um, some of these things lined up at just the right time, you know, um, it's funny when we were working on, uh, I think it was the Christmas Chronicles two. I feel like during that time, he actually didn't know I was doing Coming to America, which it was funny because he he mentioned to me he thought about you know going out to demo for that movie, and I thought how funny would it be to to, to go out for the same movie and have me get it, and then you know you know it's, actually it's something Christopher Young always said, you know you know you never. You think that that's the moment where your proudest moment as a, a mentor or a teacher is to have your students beat you out for jobs. But, <laughs> um, and I was like, really? I thought you'd be upset about that. But 
anyway, he didn't compete for it, but he 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 thought it was great that I was doing that without telling him. Um, so I think Christoph Beck is also a, a USC alum. He is. He actually he was in the program uh, with Marco Beltrami. Um, yeah, okay. I, I to to my knowledge, in contact one of them. I think Marco had no gear when it was time to do the demo, and he used Christoph Beck's studio um, mm-hmm. to do the demo okay. that got Scream Scream the first one. Um, so yeah. That's that's a really funny. I mean, I guess if you're going to lose to somebody, it ought to be somebody that you trained and mentored. Oh yeah, so yeah. Least, or, you know, or you like them. At least you like them. <laughs> yeah, you like them. You know them. You ego bump you from know? that. Like that's I I I did that. So oh, me oh, kind of, you know like yeah yeah. Uh, you, know. You, mentioned, you know you mentioned John Williams and you know John Williams obviously being behind so many iconic scores and and being such a hero to so many and. Mm-hmm. Um, you worked on a score for Star Wars stories and, and collaborated mm. on the Peter Pan and Wendy movie that's out now on Disney Plus. I mean, how does it feel to um, work on such big properties like Star Wars, like Disney? Is it intimidating? Do you go into it like under the shadow of a John Williams or do you just go into it, you know, trying to build your own place? Well, you know, what's funny about that is we actually, when we first started it, well, first of all, the one of the producers of that never really uh, our Star Wars stories didn't intend to have an original score at, at first. We were just catching up, you know, at a certain point over coffee or lunch, and we were just brainstorming. He was telling you about the fact that it was coming up, and it sounded interesting. And when we decided to do original scores for what's kind of a docu series or a documentary style. Thing, um, the idea of doing each episode in the style of whatever Star Wars the people are talking about during that moment is really what the approach evolved to. Um, and it, it, that wasn't the thing at first. It was just kind of like, it's Star Wars, do something that's appropriate for the universe. Mm-hmm. But um, there did, ha- uh, some, some comments did come down the the, the chain saying to make sure not to use John Williams themes, but mm-hmm. it, it's okay if it, if it, if it gives a nod to the sound. Um, so, you know, in those, they actually talk about pretty much um, everything from episode one through nine um, as they talk to the, you know, the interviewees. And so for me, the approach really became, how do I sound like what they're talking about? Sometimes they're talking about Ewoks or they're talking about, Vader, or they're talking about, um, they're talking about the force. So like the idea is, you know, it's, it's underscore and it's more documentary style, but it's okay to be sweeping orchestral music, um, in the style of John Williams, if appropriate, or, you know, if they talk about, you know, solo, it's okay to be, you know, anything in that universe, you know? Um, so that was, that was fun, you know? Because I didn't, I didn't plan it to be that way. It just it evolved into, oh, that's the style, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds fun, but also like maybe a challenging, um, challenging tightrope to walk. So you know, you're being referential, but you're not picking stuff mm-hmm. up. You know? Yeah, it was, it was, you know. Do you have fun. a favorite John Williams piece? I'm so curious. Like we have to ask a compose, ask a composer hour, and people have to know. I mean, for sure, I would say. Um, uh, Star Wars is definitely my favorite. It's just kind of all-encompassing, uh, and it's, it seems like it's reached long time ago at the point of being timeless somehow um, and will forever be. I have to mention something only because it's sitting here, and I just opened it today. He didn't ask me to promote this, but I just purchased the reissued soundtrack of Sabrina, which also came out in 1995, the year I saw Call 13 came out in December of that year. I saw that movie with my dad. And this movie is such a jazzy, mm-hmm. beautiful, lush. Uh, if you, I don't know if you've seen this movie or the original, but mm-hmm. it's a, very much a nod to the golden age of Hollywood and these sweeping romantic, uh, romantic styles of, you know, um, of scoring and uh, storytelling. Like it's <laughs> full on jazzy, old, you know, that 50s sweeping style that that's my favorite sound so i'm mentioning that because 
it's up there. I used to fall asleep to that CD every night back when I when we had CD players. <laughs> remember those days? <laughs> I remember. Yeah, no, we're yeah. we're definitely in your cohort. We're old enough to remember. Okay, good. Walkmans yeah. and, and yeah, the VHS tapes All that from good older stuff. brother. All the stuff that you're mentioning is all you know, that good it. stuff. 80s kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I I love that stuff. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is The Wizard of Oz. Um, for what it's worth, and that's 1939, so that's, you know, a a pinnacle of a, the definition of the golden age of Hollywood in terms of sound and scope and sweep and dramatic storytelling with an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, that that, that <laughs> seems like it would have been a dream dream gig, you know, for someone with an affinity toward that, that sound and that style and those chops. Um, doesn't happen every day. And that's why, you know, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just swimming in the CD right now. No one's asking to promote it, but I can't stop listening to the Sabrina. No, I, I right love now. that. It's a great tip. I feel like that's a, that's a soundtrack we need to revisit. Oh, it's this reissue is insanely good. There's so much unused stuff. Beautiful. So you can go from, you know, working kind of in a more traditional sense with kind of the Star Wars stories score. And then you can jump into the Coming to America mm-hmm. 2 soundtrack, which, you know, has elements of like, yeah, it's so mm-hmm. good. It's got mm-hmm. like Afro pop in so there. Bad. It's, it's oh, you know, you. it's got a lot going oh, on. Like, uh-huh. um, and then you're, you're mixing that with, with, um, you know, pop songs, like soundtrack songs as well. Right. Yeah, it's it was interesting, you know, part of actually how I got that job is, you know, we were just having a general meeting and talking about the fact that it was coming up. And I, I felt like there was absolutely no way that my name would be thrown in the hat for it. But when it was suggested that I meet with the director, um, you know, I decided to write some original music before we met just in case he wanted to talk about what my interests were. And part of how I got that was they needed a lot of on-camera music to shoot to that was original music. Mm-hmm. So I started writing music for scenes like, I don't know if you remember the Bo Staff sparring scene where mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy's character is sparring with his daughters and there's percussionists on set. So, you know, I wrote some music kind of for that that ended up being something they needed to play while they were filming. So the, the drummers were actually pantomiming properly and also there's a major funeral sequence in the movie that um, there's a lot of dance numbers and there's supposed to be all these, these musical cues that segue from songs into score and out of score into something, you know, and vice versa. So I started writing things that I thought could work for that. And there's a certain point where they were just like, we should just hire the guy. We're using it and it's working. Like, And, you know, and again, that, that stuff ended up going straight into the edit as they were cutting the movie. And it made the process really seamless. So um, there's some scenes in the film where there's something called a coronation, where there's a, there's a kind of a party and there's a, an Afro-centric-ish, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 ensemble basically on stage and on camera playing instruments. So I needed to write music basically that they're actually, it takes place at this party, you know, mm-hmm. it's their party music. Um, some, you know, source music, basically, uh, which is a rare thing to be asked to do and then also to be on set for supervising that stuff. So that was another fun thing that, you know, you're talking about um, being involved. You know, I didn't think that it would come to that, but, you know, even the Gladys Knight recordings, you know, Gladys Knight's in the loop for anyone that hasn't seen it. Sorry, spoiler alert three years old, two years old now. Watch it. Um, Just watch, yeah, it watch it. But Gladys Knight's in the movie. And so when we recorded her, her, her music. Um, they had me source connect in for that session. Um, and Vogue is in the movie. I got to go to their recording sessions as well and just be involved in every musical aspect just so that if inside was needed, um, when it came to the songs and that's, that's rare, you know, Mm -hmm. that a composer would be invited to watch and participate in the recording session Mm -hmm. of the songs and give feedback. 
Um, I didn't want to give Gladys Knight feedback. I'm sorry. I didn't want to, but they were asking me to say something. <laughs> it was, you know, it just sounded like her. It was great, you know. Um, and then also, like, you know, I just have to mention, it's just because I'm tumbling down this rabbit hole of memories. Um, there's a moment where we're on set, and they're like, okay, Gladys Knight is requesting that the composer come to her trailer and rehearse the song. And I go in there, and it's literally the security guard opens the door, and it's literally just the two of us. Oh. And I, the, thankfully, I thought just, you know, um, enough of what ifs um, to print out um, a transcription of sheet music where she improvised during her session. So I had, I had it transcribed and took the sheet music with me just, and just literally had it with me. And it was just like one of those things where you can't plan that you'll need this stuff, but the idea of trying the best you can to be prepared, mm -hmm. um, I think paid off, you know, so. The power of being prepared, <laughs> just in case I mean, you last night need you to come to her trailer. I was like, who knows, you know, I'm like, I didn't think that was going to happen, yeah. but you know, and like it, stranger things probably have happened. So here I was like, here I am, you know. So, yeah. What a dream, though. That's super cool. Um, that soundtrack is great, and uh, it's it, it's really cool how like pieces of the score also have to do a lot of like world building that the original mm -hmm. movie doesn't really do because the original movie you know takes place in the city, whereas exactly people takes place. And in that was Georgia. the part I was actually kind of nervous about. We're sitting on set. And one of the producers turns to me, you know, I've never worked with him before. And he's saying words like, we need to start thinking about what the sound of Zamunda is. I'm thinking, okay, this is the make or break point he's talking about. <laughs> he wants to tell the story, you know, because a lot of the movie takes place in the Zamunda in this movie. In the first movie, they come to America and they spend a lot of time there. Um, in this movie, yeah, so it's fine that you just have yeah. a bunch of Nile Rogers songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is great. Like, don't get me wrong. I just want to. Of course, no, we love Nell Rogers. Very upfront about that, an an of absolute course. legend, and also like for '80s kids, coming to America is a big deal. Like all of it's us a grew up watching deal. coming to America over yeah. the edited version, over and over yeah. again on yeah. cable. Yeah. Um, and like it just becomes one of your favorite movies. So to be able to do the sequel is it's, again like a, it's that's a pretty heavy task. I didn't think it was. True. I was like, okay, they're just saying that because I'm in the room and oh, sure. And they're like, uh, yeah, you're going to meet with him. He's coming to town next week. I'm like, uh, maybe they're going to say something happened and he couldn't do it. <laughs> you know. And they, yeah, they followed through. They're like, all right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to fly you to set and you're going to be there for three weeks. I'm like, oh, this is happening, happening. <laughs> they're not joking, <laughs> joking, joking. It's a real deal. And yeah, it was, yeah. So for that movie, you didn't work to a temp track at all, right? Like you just... You know what? There was very doing... little temp in that movie. And also, I think that's one of those rare, rare, rare cases where we talk about we needed to do a spotting session and we just we just dove into the movie and just started writing music. You know, a rare situation. And I think part of that was probably because the pandemic had thrown everything, you know, into no one knows how to do anything traditionally anymore. Right. And so um, it just became um, a matter of just solving problems as they came up and being creative because so much stuff was shut down. I mean, I'm so thankful that I had that to work on. It, it kind of gave me something to focus on. And it became this, this thing besides planting things in the backyard to the point where it's full <laughs> of plants. And then still doing more. It became the other thing that I was doing. <laughs> I'm sure you guys worked on your backyard quite a bit, uh, you know. But yeah, coming to America became my outlet for uh, just something else to think about, you know. Very interesting time, you know. I'm so thankful for that, you know, because it was a daunting time, right? You know, it's like yeah, I, absolutely. I feel like we've all yeah. kind of, you know, buried it a little bit, but oh it's yeah, yeah. Start to think back on how weird and difficult and uh, you know bizarre. Just so much it uncertainty. Was. I mean, honestly, we were recording that. The I remember on the way to the session, or a day or two before the session, the director calls me and he said, "I just got off the phone 
and something just happened that's going to change everything about the movie. We're still going to record, but uh, don't worry. Uh, but something changed everything. What he meant was Paramount had sold the movie to Amazon, and it was basically in Paramount's eyes, um, it was already a success because they sold the movie for twice of what it, you know, what it costs, you know, so there, there's always already a profit, you know, in terms of the models of how, how is a streaming movie, you know, going to make money? Like, it was like, everyone was nervous. It was supposed to be out for Christmas. And it, he had gone on Saturday Night Live and announced that it was going to be out in theaters. And it's like, that's crazy, you know, so magical to be a part of that. I could talk about coming to America all day long. <laughs> Well, I think it's also super cool that you yeah. built something that is very like transportive and that, you know, mm. creates fantasy and magic for others to enjoy. Mm. But it was also kind of that for you and got you through yeah. this really yeah. tough moment. So yeah. it's a testament, I think, to to music and sort of why we have this show. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good. Can I ask who's playing guitar on that soundtrack? That guy's oh. amazing. Or, or or woman Eric Walls playing Eric Walls did most of the guitar. If if it's something I sent or the the score, uh, Eric Walls did all the guitar. And again, it was one of those fun things where it was fun but not fun. Where every you know all woodwinds had to be recorded at home, oh, so wow. that mean that a person would have mm. to have a, a setup already. We originally were going to do a third choir session. And that third choir session became five vocalists who were set up to record at home in their bedroom or wherever they're at. Um, drums, bass, guitar, organ. Well, organ, we went to a church. It was just me and the organist and, you know, completely socially distant. And we recorded our organ, I think, around July of that year. So that was, pandemic was still pretty raging as far as should we even be doing this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but everyone was like kind of one at a time, flying in their tracks from wherever they were and then sending it off to uh, our engineer to mix um, after our orchestra session happened. But uh, yeah, the guitar, Eric Walls is doing all that. And it's funny, like somebody we had a lot of, like you said, with him specifically, a lot of different styles um, that we were able to do. Some were more romantic or acoustic guitar, some were very you know, African rhythms and stuff, uh, some more R&B, um, some, you know, um, this is like all over. And that score, honestly, the reason I get excited about talking about it is because it kind of, I feel like it's one of the, the, the first times where I had a very large canvas to just be me because the director was very supportive of, I don't know, have fun with it. Like mm-hmm. that's a comment you don't always get, you mm-hmm. know, when we're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was plenty of music to have fun with in terms of the amount of minutes needed. And I think like, it's definitely one that in terms of the test of time, will people will identify as sounding like me when, mm-hmm. you know, the, whatever the me sound is gets out there. I think people will go back to that and go, Oh yeah, I totally hear that. Cause like, you think of someone like John Williams. I think if you go back to the Gilligan's Island TV show or Lost in Space, where he was one of the writers um, or the composer for, you don't think of, you know, like E.T. or Jurassic Park. But um, when you hear that, you hear you hear you hear the remnants of what became that later. Like mm-hmm. you hear his DNA on those things. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it won't take me that many years for <laughs> People don't want to go back and hear, oh, wait, he didn't come to America? <laughs> and they go, 30 years, you know, um, whatever. But, yeah, so, yeah, all good. So what kind of musical research did you do for that film? Good question. We ended up having to write for a couple of, uh, I guess it's called Pan-African instruments, uh, the Kora was one of the instruments that we had at the, the coronation scene, which is the party. It's kind of a giant, it looks, almost looks like a tubla with strings coming out of it, um, or a sitar or something, you know, it's straight up and down. I had to write for that. There was some, um, uh, lots of use of percussion. Our percussionist, uh, Sidney Hobson, he also um, had to record completely remotely. He was recording 
um, as I think at the same time uh, on that window of the recording session for the, the strings and brass, he was sending files in that I was going home to check later. But um, I had a giant meeting with another percussion before I hired him. And he spent an hour just showing me a warehouse full of percussion. And I, you know, just different things. Like I took videos of everything that I could just so that when it came around, this is like after I landed the gig, but like a year before we did any recording, um, things that I can go back. Oh, I have a video of this instrument. Do you know where this is? Can you find this? And then also I did a little bit of research on um, Swahili as a language um, in the funeral scene. The music, the lyrics don't actually appear in that scene. They appear, um, I'll, I'll just say, again, I always give this weird thing about spoilers, but just after the funeral, some lyrics that translate uh, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, but it's sung in Swahili. Um, so I just did a, a Google Translate of those lyrics and put them to rhythms and harmonized it. And... Um, you, you probably see it in the, I think there's a behind the scenes that Amazon did on the music of where we're in the session. We recorded at Sunset Sound with, I think it was, it might have been eight vocalists or nine at that session, the second recording session. But um, that was specifically recorded for um, for that for that funeral scene. Um, so it was just playing with a lot of things, you know, that, you know, looking for languages that would, you know, Zamunda, the that place it's fictional but it's supposed to take place in in west africa so looking at to see what languages they actually speak there are you know all things that are kind of contribute to the authenticity so you know if someone from that you know area actually sees the movie whenever they see it they they actually hear languages spoken in, in their native tongue and go oh wow someone sees us you know what i mean as opposed to some fake made up syllables or whatever Mm-hmm. And then also um, our woodwind, um, since you asked, uh, woodwind, uh, world woodwind player, you always have to have one in a movie like this. Pedro Ustash um, ended up bringing out uh, some really crazy uh, instruments. Other one of them is the contrabass flute, which actually it's it's like super giant. It's not played you know sideways like that. It looks almost like a bass clarinet times two. And he, like, sings and plays at the same time when he's doing it, and he's, like, dancing around when he plays. Oh, wow. um, pretty crazy. That's that's on the uh, behind-the-scenes uh, thing that Amazon did, too. Uh, see, I'm so, going to have to check that out. I'm out of breath listening to that description. Oh, really? You, yeah, you should be. It, <laughs> it looks crazy. And it's funny. Like, I just thought, you know, as an experiment, I, I just, I'm going to document everything I can as we're doing this because there's nothing else to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> as you know. Um, but you know, it ended up being fun when we decided to put something together about how it all came together, you know, mostly iPhone footage because, you know, at our recording session, no camera crews were allowed at the time. Mm -hmm. So I took a couple cameras and set them up in different places and just made sure to, you know, to get this, well, I, I thought it was historic, you know, we were only like, uh, the second or third session to record, uh, uh, or orchestra at Fox since they had reopened. Um, I think we recorded in, I want to say September or October, mm-hmm. October of 2021. I don't even know. Like, what a blur. <laughs> what a blur it's all become. Um, yeah. But, yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. October 2020. But, yeah. That was, um, that was that. So I have to ask, and it sounds like you have a, an incredible amount of, of heart for the score to coming, coming, bleh, why can't I talk? Coming to America too. Do you have a, a favorite score or another score that you've done that you feel like is going to be part of your, your legacy or that you just, you know, had a great time making? You know, just before that, I had done a score that I, I feel like I, people will reference later. It was a very fun one called Proximity. It was a completely indie film. It did get distribution, but it, it actually came out, it was released at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things I remember um, 
when movie theaters were trying to give people something to do, they would sell popcorn, but they weren't showing movies. So I remember going and buying two gigantic, almost, it looked like garbage bag size pop bags of popcorn. When that movie uh, had its premiere, um, it was kind of a, not pay-per-view, but it was on like Showtime, you know, one of those things, and you could rent it or download it or purchase it. And we had our little premiere at home. Um, but that was one that I got to record the whole brass section um, at Skywalker Ranch. And oh, wow. before I did that, I actually hired a tuba player, uh, Peter Blake Cooper, a member of our union here, uh, went to his place and recorded tuba samples because it was an alien abduction sci-fi adventure movie and kind of an old Amblin style. I, I definitely recommend checking that out because that was another one similar where I I spent a lot of time recording these samples before I really started diving into the actual scoring. And then after that, we when we went and recorded our brass uh, session, normally we wouldn't do this, but I had three tubas on the, se- the session and had them panned hard right, you know, center and left and try to get a uh, kind of an alien-esque, you know, I don't know, UFO-ish kind of homage kind of thing happening. And, um, it was, again, it was a labor of love because, you know, some sometimes in the indie world there's a little bit more freedom and, you know, the encouragement to be different and creative and just see what happens and then go with that as opposed to err on the safe side. And the director and I, you know, really had fun. We were able to not only record that score there, but then we were also able to do the what's called the final dub at Skywalker Ranch. So we were able to go back up there and live for like a week while they mixed the movie. And uh, it was kind of a one of those special projects that, you know, it was, it was way more about the process than it was um, this thing that people were expecting us to do or waiting for us to do. And, you know, the, you know, Lakeshore Records put out the score album and that was my first time having uh, one of my scores mixed by Pat Sullivan, uh, Bernie Grumman. Who I'm, I'm just a fan of her. She she masters all John Williams stuff, and uh, I could talk to her all day long. <laughs> so you know, it was one of those things where it just was a nice, nice, nice thing. Proximity was the name of that um, uh, the, the movie and the score. It's it's an interesting one. It's you know, like I said, it's indie sci-fi adventure got some very cool visual effects elements to it that, that that you don't expect if you don't know what the movie's about. You're kind of like, oh, okay, oh, okay, some, we're having some fun, you know, um, which is, you know, what it should be about, you know, especially yeah. at the indie level. Do you intentionally try to seek out those kind of genre films or those projects where you think you're going to have a little bit more I freedom did. creatively? I have, to, I have to tell you that I did on that one specifically – I saw, I I was a fan of the director. He'd done a short film that went viral. Uh, It was a Boba Fett fan film. Um, I was like, I got to work with this guy. I just feel like Lucasfilm's going to capture him one day and hire him. I want to make a good impression on him, and I love his visual style. He actually won an Emmy for his main titles to Stranger Things. He's got that visual visual background. And uh, he posted some images saying, that he was going to be shooting a film called Proximity. It was going to be this 80s throwback action-adventure Amblin-style film. And uh, I was so excited. I grabbed some of those images from his Kickstarter and put them in a timeline in Final Cut, exported a video and scored it, and then sent it to him. Uh, and when I did that, he, he posted online, if you act now, you'll get the, some free tracks from our composer, which is those tracks that I composed. And I was like, I guess I'm hired. And I'm not sure if you can really do that, but that's how that, how I actually got that job. That's so great. You're like, at this so point, fun. I better be getting a paycheck. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Uh, of course. So Only these tracks are But, you know, the fun thing was, you know, that style and that approach and that theme, that main theme, if you go, like, actually write it down, the main title from that movie that I pitched to him is the main title in the movie. He, he wanted it exactly as it was. Now I had to re-record everything and re-mock everything up. Um, but, uh, he was like, it's just so perfect. It has to be that. 
he didn't want to change anything. Um, and uh, to a point where if like one note tried to tweak it, it was like, that doesn't sound exactly like, like he wanted it exactly like when he heard he loved it so much. Um, so that was kind of a fun thing that, you know, some that and uh, the other thing that he, two things that he suggested that listeners might get for free, they ended up in the movie, you know. Um, so I was three cues down, <laughs> you know, um, that worked out. That's cool. Cool to have that level of yeah. trust and that immediate, like, this is clicking. You get uh, me at you. Yeah. And then also, honestly, I feel like that's been a little bit of a process in terms of the last couple, I would say the last three or four projects that I've done, um, typically I've been hired on before they actually shot or while they were shooting the movie. Um, not, you know, generally in, in, in this industry, you know, composers will come on once they've shot the movie and now they're looking for some music somewhere under a rock. Uh, maybe, maybe he's got it. I don't know. We're running out of time, you know, you know, but now more often than not, it's been at least for me more of a success to pursue projects that haven't been shot yet, haven't had a composer. Maybe the director's never even worked with a composer before. And so, you know, I could strike up a, a thing where it's like, I have ideas that it can go like this. And they're like, Oh, I, I hadn't thought about music yet, you know? Okay. Um, so then you can actually start, getting inside their head, hopefully about how they want to tell their story mm-hmm. um, and come alongside them and do it yeah. as opposed to, you know, just kind of doing your own thing, you know, inviting them into the process of collaborating, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's not an afterthought. It's, you know, mm-hmm. embedded into the filmmaking process. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more fun, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a fun process that way that, you know, than just work, you know. My thought, my two cents. Before we continue with our episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy so, so did you uh, collaborate with the director to come up with the music for praise this yeah that was uh, it's funny um, I, I pitched really hard for that one because you know it was this gospel comedy like I grew up you know playing saxophone as I told you but a lot of it in church so I had this whole idea about all these gospel references my favorite artists that I wanted to do a score in the style of gospel music. And I, I, I did a whole pitch video for this thing and she loved the pitch video. And I had this, you know, the main thing that she loved was this idea I had, cause I'm originally from the Chicago area of using some musicians from Chicago, some from LA, some uh, producers from the gospel record industry from Texas and Atlanta to help produce some of the tracks. Uh, our organist uh, have him be from Louisville, Kentucky. This guy that's played on a lot of these great records, and just have them all have it be this melting pot, almost like an homage to gospel. And there's a little kind of a 30 second recap video of that that's out there that I put together, just kind of showing how all these different worlds came together. Now, halfway through, our director basically decided that using gospel as part of the approach to scoring wasn't going to be the solution because the, the movie has 60 minutes of songs in it. So there's all these gospel mashups, like because it's a musical, there's so much of that going on that uh, it would be more of uh, the idea of 
just the traditional comedy score. However, we would still use these players from different parts of the country to bring a subtle iteration of, you know, the, the, the actual, um, I mean, these guys are in the trenches of the record, the gospel record business. So um, they added, you know, their two cents of, it goes through their filter, you know, even though it's like a comedy cue, we want to have, you know, it played by their fingers and like, you know, it's piano, you know, which I could easily just mock it up, but I had to call Philip Feaster from Chicago who plays for New Direction and Kirk Franklin and, you know, Fred Hammond and all these guys and Jonathan McReynolds, all these great albums that I love listening to. It has to be him playing it because he's going to, he's going to do something that's true to the culture and the style of what we're talking about. If I have the right people, it's all about having the right people, you know, and then again, that, that became really the real magical fun moment for me to have all my favorite. Cause I, you know, I'm still, you know, that's why I ordered this special edition here as my third pitch for the Sabrina soundtrack is because you can open it up. And you look and see all the names of the players are actually on here. And you can go, um, who's the keyboard? Oh, Randy Kerber. Like, Randy Kerber's playing on this album. Mm -hmm. I, I actually reached out to him a year ago to play some demos for uh, a piano, um, pianistic solo piano pieces for an idea for something I wanted to pitch for. I would not know who to call if his name wasn't in the credits somewhere, you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these guys, and you think I'm kidding, right? Um, how, why would you think I'm kidding? But when I was in Chicago last week, I went through uh, old gospel CD collection in, in Illinois. I found a couple other CDs. Just looking through credits, some of the guys on the Praise This um, uh, producing team, these are old albums that they did. And I just, I'm like, they did this? I had no idea. Like, I'm, fans yeah, of liner notes. I'm fans of theirs. So I'm like, Dad, do you mind if I steal these? Because <laughs> I want to like, <laughs> This is the whole thing now, but, you know, their name is in the credits, you know. I would never know. I mean, some of these albums are like 10 years old, you know. Um, making me so miss that, the CD booklet. I, making me miss oh, that yeah. feeling, you know. Just oh, I love that. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really nerd out for a moment, okay? So I opened this up. First thing I did, my, my older brother and I used to do this. Take the booklet out. Smell it. Yeah, <laughs> it smells new. Mm -hmm. new Even that like crack of the jewel case. This is all like ASMR oh, for people that miss CDs right it's now. So old school, nostalgic. You know, I mean, the smell of a new liner notes. It's like it's yours. You own it. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. um, it's unless you go sell it back to a re, you know, a, a CD, you know, reuse CD store or whatever. There's right. a vibe so and a to smell to that too. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Bring back Tower Records. Oh back. yeah. I think we're all on board for that, you know. <laughs> all in the same boat. So that's good stuff. Um at Proximity C D actually had a a re uh, um a physical copy too. I think they did I wanna say they did I wanna say five hundred copies. Um, something like that. But it was nice, you know, the I hate to toot my own. There's a little video that I did where I was opening up, you know, I always dreamed of this moment, you know, mm -hmm. that here we were in the middle of a pandemic, opening up the box of CDs that the label had shipped to me and showing the audience that they were available now. Um, but it was like, I'm at home and <laughs> if I send these out, I'm spreading COVID technically. So I guess <laughs> I'll keep them. No, I think I mailed a bunch out in the mail. Um, um, I'm not sure COVID died by the time the recipient died. <laughs> yeah, you had some time in transit. Or, or did I make this pandemic last one extra year? I don't know what I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but that was fun, actually having a physical thing, you know, sent from the label and just be like, I got it. Yeah. Right. There's like credits all on it. efforts actually amounted to like a something as opposed to like, yeah, a physical thing. I mean, that thing. I'm trying to think of when they started. Um, so that movie came out in 2020, like March or April of that year. And I was playing my demos for someone in 2016, actually when I did what's called the um, 
music and sound design lab at Skywalker Ranch. And the first time I got to go up there, you know, we were able to play our reel uh, for all the other folks up there. And I had some clips that I uh, helped me win the demo or helped me win the gig in my reel from that. So, yeah, four years, and now I'm finally holding a CD. Similar to Praise This, like three and a half, four years from the time that I heard about the movie to the time it actually got released. I do like passion projects. I guess you can tell, like things that, you know, so I'm hoping that, you know, one day that, that'll land me probably, I'm assuming, in the animated world because I know that those things aren't cranked out overnight. No, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, want, I want that for you. I feel like people also don't, with the speed of content, people don't recognize how long production oh, yeah. are. I think the average person doesn't know that it'll take yeah. four years, 10 years for mm -hmm. something to be released and it's done. Um, and all that time, you know, real people have been putting a lot of love into it. So oh, absolutely. Great. Uh, yeah, I love it. And I love celebrating the, you know, knowing that that, that was a thing. And well, I, I think like that, you know, I, I, I think people also kind of wonder, I wonder like as a lay person and somebody that's, that's not a composer, you know, what do you feel as, as the expert on this makes a really great score? If you had to define the elements of a great score, what would that be for you? For me, honestly, I think it would be if you can um, see the movie, you know, by listening to the music. Mm -hmm. And it, it could be a sound design score. It could be a thematic score. I like thematic stuff where you can hum the melody or whatever. It doesn't have to be that. But I think if you can close your eyes and still see the movie, and that can be like, mm -hmm. I don't mean like, the music has to like be so whatever that um, it needs to always exist on its own. But I mean, like you need to be able to turn the picture off and feel like, yeah, I, I could see where this is. I could see the characters. I could see whatever's happening or what, whatever the premise was. It makes sense. Cause there's some things where, you know, you listen to, I, I, I listen to a lot of soundtracks in the car. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a fan of this stuff. Um, so when I listen and I don't know, maybe I, don't, I haven't seen the movie, but I love the composer. If I go in my head, oh, something's happening here. Oh, this is, someone just did this. Oh, someone's falling here because it's going, like there's a descending feeling. Like to me, like I'm, that music's probably effective because it's, it's telling me something story-wise. You know, I might not see exactly what it is, but. I, I can feel it, you know, that it's doing something specific, you know, it's not just wallpaper, so to speak, you know. Yeah, I love that answer. But, you know. Is there a director that when you watch their films, you're like, I need to link up with this person because I just have... Well, there's a lot of people. I, ideas. I and... have a lot of, I have a whole <laughs> list, actually, of people that I want to work with. Um, But I think, you know, it's funny, I always, here's what I always I always think, I always think every single composer in the entire history and universe of scoring anything, they all want to work with Steven Spielberg. That's what I think. Um, and they know it's not going to happen. Um, that's, that's what I think in my mind. And, you know, um, what I will say is I hope that I could link up with someone. I think it would be a gift to link up with someone who you just, kind of finish each other's sentences and they are prolific, you know, and you just literally, they just bring, they just tell you when the films do. And, and it's not like you have to chase them down or anything, you know, and there's always going to be other things that come up here and there, but that there would be one person that you just really, they compliment your every, you know, your, to your core, like the things that you, you aspire to do creatively and they just, provide you with images to write music to um you know a 50-year collaboration 60 years that sounds almost impossible i don't even know you're thinking about streaming and media where all the stuff the idea of film scoring as an industry would be in 50 years i hope it exists mm -hmm. but it'd be great to get you know something really really significant out of one person that's just a wellspring of creativity and wants to take risks um 
but yeah, I think there's there's a lot of people that I think are are interesting. Um, but typically they will have their person. So, <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm I'm I keep going back to come, coming to America. I'm fortunate to have have been able to work with Craig Brewer because he had worked with Scott Bomar, composer, many times over um, before working with me on that. And it was just kind of one of those fun things that, you know, when I met him, I was like, okay, I know people probably say this a lot, but when Hustle and Flow came out, my wife and I would go around the house just saying, whoop, that trick, whoop, that <laughs> trick. Like, it was just a fun <laughs> thing, like a pop culture moment to do and to share that with him and not just be like blowing smoke. Like I was actually thought he did something that wasn't easy to do, which was make the audience feel something for characters that they might not think that they would feel something for mm-hmm. on a universal level. You know, that was pretty cool. Um, what he pulled off. And it was just like one of those things where I was like, I had no way of just reaching out to him or meeting with him. Um, but you know, to be working with him was like, this guy is great. Like, he he literally does great movies. Like he doesn't do things that are unwatchable. Like you want to watch his movies. Um, so that was that was a gift, you know, and a blessing. So yeah, I guess I guess I could throw Steven Spielberg in. There. I mean, it, you know, I, I'm just like the reality <laughs> of that. I'm just like, hey, we're all know. manifesting I, Spielberg. Like, we're all here's putting I'll, it. Here's what I'll say: uh, something that he produced would be great, you know. Um, and to have his input, I think that would be a dream, you know. Um, I did get to work with uh, Rick Family Ewa. Uh, I was a fan of his. He did the movie Dope, mm. um, and he's. Yeah. Um, gotten really really in with the lucasfilm guys and really heavily involved in the mandalorian and both of that stuff and every a lot of stuff they have coming up we um my name was submitted for a series of short films that were going to be shown within the game Fortnite. and uh, since we we're both members of the sundance family uh because i did that that thing he um i was connected uh, with him and ran into him several times and you're talking about the whole stalking thing. Like, I was a big fan of his, actually. And I was like, if there's any one person out of the entire Sundance family, I feel like this guy, his his range, like, if you look at his work, he has a very wide range of stuff that he can do. And it's, it's very, it's all compelling within yeah. his own universe. I was like, I want to invest in trying to make a connection with this guy. And my name was pitched. And he was like, Jermaine. I know that guy. Wait a minute. Who's, and I was like, really? That's how you, I love that. Like I, it actually came back. So um, I'm going to throw him back into, I'd love to do a feature with that guy. Um, Cause he, he's so laid back, very vibey. And, you know, he's just all about feel and vibe and emotion in, the, as, in terms of listening to the music. Like he doesn't nitpick specific notes. You know, it's like, if it feels like it's working, like he might have some suggestions on how to make the thing better overall, but like he's he's just got a vibe about him, and that I feel like that's that's a very fun and creative way. Like it's a very mentally freeing creativity way to to create, you know, as a composer yeah. um, to go off feel and vibe like that, you know. Uh, you see, I don't know the spoilers, but the the season finale of the last Mandalorian, my mind was kind of blown <laughs> yeah like, wow it, it was the okay. best episode of the season i think you know his his chops really show in moments like i that. was like oh okay he is who i thought he was like he's great and i was like i didn't know that he directed until the end i didn't look it up or anything i was like wait a minute whoever did this one is a master of their craft mm-hmm. and he i was like okay well, okay that sealed it now i have to I sent him a note. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, being able to do that and, you know, remind him that, look, I'm still a fan. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it didn't happen because of this. Like, I'm still a fan and have been. Very creative guy. I kind of feel like you could teach a master class on how to pitch. So, I, I really? like it for you. I think this is going to happen. Oh, man. I like that. I like it. You know, I actually... I think as long as you are prepared for it, you will get it, because you seem to be very good at preparing. Prepared? You're making people free music! 
Oh, you're hilarious. You know, it's funny as you say that, I'm thinking of things that actually happened tonight having to do with something that I did a long time ago. Um, and, you know, it was a book that I started reading where he's actually, he specifically, um, Rick uh supposed to be directing a movie based off of his book. And uh, I didn't tell him I'm reading it yet, but I was going to come up with all these themes and characters and just take my time doing it. So you're talking about building worlds. Uh, I think that's something that composers are, um, I wouldn't say expected to do, but it's a, definitely a bonus. Uh, if they could figure out how to do it. For me, I, I like to use time, you know, to do that. Um, I don't think, you know, the pressure cooker of, can you world build this weekend and on Monday pitch this idea that's going <laughs> to maybe revolutionize a whole genre and a franchise? For me, that's, that's a little pressure intensive. Um I like to do things over periods of time, you know. Um, so the fact that you're saying that makes me feel like, you know what? I think I'm going to keep on with that, <laughs> you know. It's you know. working. It's working. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Oh, that's good. Well, Jermaine, thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, seems like you guys really love doing this stuff, too. So, like you said, that's why we do it, right? <laughs> because we actually that's love it. That's why we do it. <laughs> you know, anytime you guys uh, want to geek out with a soundtrack nerd. <laughs> we just want to sniff some liner notes. and. You yeah, know. exactly. You know, you know who to go to. <laughs> Yeah, this has been a great conversation, Jermaine. Thank you so much for joining us and um, sharing your wealth of knowledge and your talents with our fans. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you so much. So if you guys want to check out what Jermaine is up to, he is on Twitter and Instagram at Jermaine Stiegel. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, he also has his website, which is JermaineStiegel.com. And you can sample his music. You can look through all his credits. And, um, yeah, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, if it still exists, at <laughs> Twitter. Dot, uh, we're at Soundtrack underscore you're on Twitter and on Instagram at SoundtrackCast. Mm -hmm. And then if you love the show, you can find us on Patreon as well. But, yeah, thank you so much, Jermaine. We are excited to see what is next for you. Hopefully you'll be... Hopefully we'll manifest some collaborations. Today. I think we did, actually. Wink, wink. I think we did. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too.